You are listening to the official podcast of Salem Tabernacle in Beacon, New York, a community of people devoted to experiencing life as God meant it to be. Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 15. Holy Spirit, I just pray right now that this feeling of happiness and excitement that I just feel like kind of welling up inside of me right now, I pray that this would be something that's happening in the church, Father God. I feel this great sense of anticipation, this great sense of spring breaking through into the winter. I feel this great sense that you're moving to maybe not resolve all of our issues, but to resolve us in the midst of our issues. That you're moving to make us whole in the midst of brokenness, to make us complete in the midst of incomplete realities, to make us to give us life in the midst of things that are making for death. To anoint your church to be salt and light in the world around us. To actually be something different. To actually walk around with the aroma and the perfume of Jesus Christ emanating off of our bodies, Father God. To be the kinds of people that can walk into a room and the room becomes healed because your presence is in us and we are in that room. And so I'm praying, Holy Spirit, that you would silence the voice of the enemy that would make people say either I've heard this before or this cannot possibly be for me. I pray that you would open up space in us to believe the simple truth that you love us and that you are the only one who can accomplish anything on this earth. And even though that's true, you don't want to accomplish it without us helping you. You could do this by yourself but you want to use us because you see more value in us than we generally see in our own self. Our wheels are spinning to try to figure out if we're good or we're not, we're right or we're wrong, we're in or we're out, but you are the one who's saying, I love you, and I would rather not be God than be God without you. Mark 1, 9 to 15. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. That is one of the reasons why we celebrate Lent for 40 days. And he was with the wild animals, and angels were ministering to him. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Bear with me. I am making some adjustments in my mind as we speak. Esau Macaulay said this. And I suggest you buy his commentary on the book of Acts. It's one of the best books I've ever read in my life. He says this of himself. When I encountered Jesus, I knew I was in the presence of not merely a better person, but of a different category of being altogether. The God-man. We see the inadequacy of our former way of life in the light of the holiness of God's Son. This is why Peter, when he first glimpsed Jesus during the miraculous catch of fish, said, 
Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. It's why Isaiah, when he encountered the presence of God, could only cry, woe to me. The good news, however, is that the moment we see the gap between ourselves and our Lord, we also encounter the blood that draws us in and assures us that we are forgiven. Jesus' own presence is both grace and judgment. We see Jesus. We see the gap in our life and his life. But the minute we see that gap, we also see the blood that draws us in through that gap into the life of Christ. That's what we're doing during Lent. We are seeing the dissonance between our life and the life of Christ. And at the same moment of seeing that, as Stephanie just said, help us to see you. The moment we see that, we are also in that moment of seeing it being drawn across that gap by the blood of Jesus and being filled with his life and being hovered over by the patience of God that is meant to lead to repentance. And so this talks about the baptism of Jesus and the verses that I'm not going to read right now that were part of today's lectionary talk about how there was a flood and only a few people entered the ark and those few people were saved and that many, many people died in the flood because they were living their own life and they weren't living a life dependent on God. And then the New Testament text is Peter saying, however, when Jesus was baptized, and I, and I suggest you go read First and Second Peter because it will blow your mind. Uh, Peter says when Jesus was baptized into his death, he went into hell and rescued the people who died in the flood. <laughs> when Jesus was baptized in the Jordan and he went under the water, he went under the water to rescue the people who had drowned in the flood. Is that mystical? Yes. Does it need to be? You betcha. Because we drown in that flood. We are always Noah in the story, but nobody in this room is Noah in the story. We're all the ones who are like, that ark is dumb. We don't need it. It's not going to rain. And then we drown. And then at the bottom of the water, all of a sudden, here comes our Messiah swimming down, plunged into the depths that we were plunged into, and bringing us up. Why is that significant? Why is that significant? It's significant because Jesus is the true and better Noah. In the Noah story, one man was saved and everybody died. But in the gospel, one man died that all might be saved. In the Noah story, the ark was opened in the side so that one family could go in and be saved from the water. Everybody say from the water. But in the gospel story, the true ark of the the true ark, the true ark of the covenant and the true Noah's ark himself was pierced in his side like the ark had a door in its side and this time no one went in but the water gushed out to save. Noah remained silent in the story and never asked anybody else to come into the ark with him. But the true and better Noah, hanging on that cross, the ark itself, himself, yells out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And whatever you are about to plunge them in, Father God, you better plunge me deeper because I'm going to get my kids. 
Why is this important? I could do that for 15 more minutes with the Noah and Jesus story. And I was going to until the Holy Spirit messed us up. But we, we are fasting for 40 days. And I won't tell you what I gave up, but I'm really glad today is Sunday. I am really glad today is Sunday. I know what I'm ordering as soon as church is over. Happy early Easter to me. We're, we're, we're fasting because we're making room for God in our life. We're reading this book and writing down each day something that we're anxious about, that this chapter may be healing in us. And we're gathering on Wednesday nights to talk and pray about what we're writing down. We're doing this because we're trying to carve out room in our life because we need to be more dependent on God and a little less dependent on our own abilities and sensibilities. So this story of Jesus getting baptized is scandalous to what we would want our view of Jesus to be. We would want Jesus to be a self-efficient human being who makes life happen, and he's not dependent on anybody. Because that would tell us then, I don't need to limit myself to being dependent on anybody else. I could do it on my own. But unfortunately, from the moment he is placed in a womb, from the moment he is placed in a manger, from the moment he needs to be taught how to eat, how to talk, how to walk, from the moment he is led by the Spirit to be tempted by Satan in the wilderness, the moment he has to be baptized by somebody else, We don't see a God who can pull himself up by his bootstraps and do it on his own. We see a Messiah who says the best life is a life where you're interdependent on each other. If you are doing it on your own, it is not the Christian life you're doing it in. So what, what, how does that actually matter though? The the first thing I want to say is, and I am skipping around, but we need to be dependent on God. Why? Because Jesus didn't start his ministry before the Father affirmed him, before the Holy Spirit led him, and before angels came and began ministering to him. Ian, you are dope for getting this up there that fast, man. Good job. Jesus doesn't start anything until he hears the Father say, you are my beloved son. Jesus doesn't go into the wilderness until the Spirit sends him. Jesus is tired and beat down in the wilderness, and he doesn't leave before angels come and minister to him. Jesus is revealing that we, have a, we need to live a life where we need to not just be assumptively dependent on God, but actually dependent on him. Jesus waits for God to speak and the Holy Spirit to move and angels to show up before he can be who he truly is. And I'm telling you right now, we all move far quicker than Jesus did. One of the ways that we reject being dependent on God as Christians is we assume that we are. Just let that hover for a moment. You know I'm dependent on food. You should see my face when I see food. Oh, you know I'm dependent on it. I had my brother over last night to watch hockey, which just for me was an excuse to have some good food. And Jacqueline, you know, you know, you know the kind of food that you make when people are coming over where you just put it all in the oven and it's finger food. And no matter what comes out, you're eating it. 
Like, if you see my face in that moment when, when the foil comes off the plate, and I'm talking about 11-year-old food. Like, I'm talking about, like, pizza bites, bagel bites, curly fries, right? Like, chicken nuggets that are the alphabet, like, you know? And I'm eating the whole entire alphabet, capital and lowercase letters. The way we look at our vices is the way God wants us to look at him. We assume God and indulge in other things. We need to be indulging in him and assuming he'll take care of us in the other stuff. So the question isn't, am I dependent on God? Of course we are. But the question is, do I actively show a passionate approach for him before I move, before I think, before I speak, before I make a decision, before I open, before my feet hit the floor, is there a hunger and a thirst in me that says, God, between this bed and that floor, I need you to even have my feet hit the darn ground because I will do it wrong without you. The stakes are too high in my life. There are too many people dependent on me. There is too much pressure to provide. There's too much pressure to live. There's too much cultural pressure and political pressure and adult versions of peer pressure. I need you now or I'm not going anywhere. Right? What did the people of Israel say? Unless that glory lifts up off that tabernacle, we are staying put. We need to have that. Not an assumed passion for him, but an enlivened one that he is healing and making real doesn't matter how long you've been walking with them for. Some marriages are suffering simply by the virtue of the fact that we've just been together too long. Being, having time in doesn't mean things are getting better. It may mean that things are getting stale. So fast and pray because we need to be dependent on God. But then there's more. We need to, de- be, we need to be dependent on God in place. It says that Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. That's not just a small little line. John, this is going to come from our conversation. I'm not going to say anything specific, but this is about our conversation that we had before church. So many of us, and I, I, I will fight back tears on this because I want to keep this like mojo that I have going right now, but so many of us are looking at our place, whether it's our job, our house, our moment in life, what we're capable of, who we believe we are. Like, we're looking at our place. Somebody said to, about Jesus, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And the answer is yes. You have no idea how much good can come out of Nazareth. But every day we ask, can anything good come out of this job? Can anything good come out of this house that I've been stuck in for a long time? Can anything good come out of this marriage that I'm in? Can anything good, listen, before you move, before you get a new car, before you get divorced, before you change your job, just know that if you never change those things, everything good can come out of exactly where you are in that moment right now. And don't leave until you know that. You don't leave to go find him. You leave because you found him and he's sending you someplace. You're not chasing a feeling. You're not chasing success. You're moving in the Holy Spirit not to find him. Golf claps. Very nice. Polite, yet effective. Our our phones, and I'm not going to be this old cranky dude. I'm saying... We, we now can be everywhere without going anywhere 
And so the place where we are is now becoming fundamentally less important because we can go other places while we're in the place we're in. And so all of a sudden, I could be at my job without having to leave my house. I could be with my family. I could be with Bishop Quentin Moore in Kansas without him getting on a plane or me getting on a plane. And that's really good. But one thing we have to guard against is because I can be other places without going there, I start to devalue the place that I'm in because it doesn't feel as important as it used to. And I start to skip past God in place. It's not my house on High Street in Beacon. It's not my job on Delavan Avenue at Salem Tabernacle. It is God in those places. It's God in those places that makes them deep. I'm going to move on. I don't want to, but I'm going to move on. There's more. We have to be dependent on God in others. Jesus went to be baptized, and John said, no, I'm not going to baptize you. And Jesus said, it has to be done this way to fulfill righteousness. What does he mean? Well, one of the things he means, he means a lot of things. One of the things he means is, I am not going to portray myself as living a life that I can live on my own. You have to dunk me. But you're going to baptize everybody, Jesus. I know, but I need to be baptized. And so Jesus had another person put his hands on him, and plunge him into the water. And whenever you get baptized, you don't dunk yourself. You see these clips of churches where people are going down a water slide into a tank. That's nonsense. You don't plunge yourself. You don't marry yourself. You don't give yourself communion. You don't lay hands on yourself when you need healing. The, the whole Christian life is designed to be plunged into a community where you need people to do this stuff so that it happens in your life. We have to be dependent and for some reason, we don't marry ourselves, we don't plunge ourselves, we don't take Eucharist by ourselves, and we, we don't come to church on Sunday and worship by ourselves. But for some reason, we think we can read the Bible by ourselves. We can't. Look at what it says. I do want to read this one. Look at what it says in Acts 30 and verse 31. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you're reading? And, this, and the man in the chariot said, How can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come and sit with him. Now listen to what he didn't say. He didn't say, I can't understand what I'm reading on my own. And he didn't say, I can't understand what I'm reading. You need to tell me what the interpretation is. He didn't say either of those two things. He didn't say, I can do it on my own or tell me exactly what it means. And I'll just say yes. He said, I need guidance. You don't need people in your life. Well, you need people in your life. So don't, don't fly solo. You don't need people in your life to make you passive and just download information that you have to say yes to. You need people in your life to guide you. I need people in my life to guide me. To guide me. One of the things that has made me feel safe in my relationship with Bishop Quentin Moore is one of the first things he said is, I want to be your authority. I want to cover you. I want to guide you. But nobody knows your church better than you do. I will guide you in your decision-making, but I'm not going to make them for you because you know those people better than me. That's a healthy guidance. We need God. So the question I have is, do we invite people into our chariot or are we just charging forward, fighting on our own? We are fasting because we need to make room for the humility where we need the influence of others in our life to live the Christian life. 
we're not in each other's life to simply tell each other the news without that person having any say. And we're not in each other's life to just offer help to other people. We need help from each other. Yes, it's not everybody's favorite moment, but yes, we need help from each other. And we need to do more than just tell each other the news of what's happening. You're not accountable to somebody if all you do is tell them the decision you made before you made it. There's no accountability there. That's just broadcasting. That's just editorializing. That's just, that's just CNN breaking news, and you're just telling people the news. That's not, hey, I'm thinking of dot, dot, dot. What do you think about my thoughts about that? Okay. We need to be dependent on God in creation. Jesus was with the wild animals. Why does it say stuff like that? It's because Jesus is the true and better Adam. He's the next man of the garden. He's the next one to name you, to name me, and then to also reestablish relationship with the created order that he created first before he created us. Adam and Eve turned the garden into a wilderness because they used creation for themselves mindlessly. Now, I need to say this. This is something I have to say. When you, you hear people start to talk about the environment, what happens is we hear it through the political triggers of the day. God, I wish I could walk around right now. Whew. Listen. I'm Italian, and so I just feel like I really need to. But there are things in the Bible, there are things in theology that sound like what we would call politically liberal, and there are things in the Bible that sound like what we would call politically conservative, but they're theological things. They're not part of those systems. They sound like them sometimes, but the problem is when we hear a theological point and we hear it through the lens of a political party and we start to say things like, well, that sounds conservative or that sounds liberal, I want nothing to do with it. We have to move those categories over here because theology is its own category. He gets us. This commercial that came out. I love it. You want to know why? Don't judge me. Hold on. Because, because, I think it's a prophetic moment for the country. You know why? Because the people who fund that commercial are extremely Christian conservative. The commercial is extremely Christian liberal. So you can't say yes to the part you like without saying yes to something you don't like. And you can't say no to the part that you don't like without saying no to the part that you do. That sounds an awful lot like the way Jesus operates all the time. People are like, oh, the commercial is great, but the funders aren't. And now the people are like, oh, man, the funding is great. I don't know why they would fund a commercial like that. That turmoil is because we do politics first, then theology, not theology first, then politics. So when I talk about things like creation and the environment and the way that we can use it and abuse it, it's not a political matter. It's a humanitarian gospel issue. There's a reason why Jesus, upon raising from the dead, is a gardener before he's anything else. There's a reason why Jesus, before it mentions angels, it mentions him being with the wild animals. 
he doesn't do, there's a reason why the word cattle is the last word in the book of Jonah. Not people, not Jonah, not God, cattle. Because everything, our relationship with each other and our relationship with the ground needs to be restored. Keep in mind, God never cursed Adam. Cursed is the because of you. We're dependent on it. We're dependent on it. Those cheese sticks I ate last night? Someone put them together. Someone got them from somewhere. They may be a bit processed, but you get the point of what I'm trying to say. They're not like farm-to-table cheese sticks or anything, but you know. But we're dependent. We're dependent on people who are working outside. We're dependent on what happens with the trees and the water. We're dependent on, we are responsible for getting those things to people who don't have those things because systems pull them and get the rich richer and leave the poor in squalor. And that's why we fund missionaries who bring that stuff to other people. Matters. And then finally, we're dependent on God in hope. I really want you to hear this because it brings everything together. After John was arrested, Jesus began to preach and teach. I'm going to say that like two more times. After John was arrested, everybody say it with me. After John was arrested, one more time. After John was arrested, it says that Jesus began. Have you ever felt like your efforts might run out for the task at hand? Am I the only one? Have you ever felt like what you have to give isn't enough for the situation that you're facing? After John was arrested, Jesus began. When your ability is arrested and pushed down and it runs out, Jesus begins. As a matter of fact, until what you have to offer runs out, Jesus can't begin. So once it does, it's not time to hit the panic button. It's time to hit the worship button because somebody's coming alongside you that can do the rest of what you were arrested and couldn't do. He's the God in hope, and we are dependent on the God in hope. Why? Because he is the author and the finisher of our, say it again, he's the author and the finisher of our, he's the what? Author and the, you didn't come up with your faith on your own, and you won't end your faith on your own. You have it because he gave it to you, and it will grow because he's going to make it grow, and it will harvest because he's going to harvest. He is the author and the finisher. And if we think that we authorize or finish anything in our life, we are not dependent enough on the Holy Spirit. If we want to be a non-anxious presence, we need to know two things. That only God can do it, and that he won't do it without us. If we think only God can do it, and that means we don't have to, we will be filled with anxiety. If we think that we can do it, and God won't, we're going to be filled with anxiety. I got a thumbs up from Sophia. Thank you. Our anxiety will subside when we realize only God can do it, and he wants to do it with you. He wants to do it with all of you. Whatever God is doing, he doesn't want to do it without you. 
he's going to heal you and restore you and raise you up to do only that which he wants you to do next. Not more, not less. Walk in pace with him. I was talking with Sophia this morning. I said, do you know the story of the tortoise and the hare? I won't tell you why we were talking about this, but we were. And she's like, I do. And she told me the whole story. And once, like, once she knew it, I was like, well, I have to throw her a curveball. I can't just, God forbid, affirm someone on their own. <laughs> she, it's a story. She said, Dad, the, the moral of the story is that slow and steady wins the race. And I said, that's true. But I think there's a better moral of the story that goes, that's, that's bigger than that. And it's that arrogance loses the race. If, if the hare wasn't arrogant, he'd have won by a lot. He was super faster. But he's like, I could win because I can take a nap. And that's arrogant. So slow and steady, that might win the race. Being fast, that might win the race. But you know what really wins the race? Humility. Humility wins the race. Being led wins the race. Knowing you're not all that, but he is, wins the race. Knowing that when you run out, he begins. That's what wins the race. Knowing that you won't be healed so that you can minister, but you will be healed as you're walking into your ministry. You won't be healed so that you can get promoted. You will be healed as God is bringing you into it. Like I said, you don't come up here to get healed. You start to get healed as you walk up here. Jesus didn't redeem the world once he actually died on the cross. He redeemed it once he put that piece of wood on his back and started walking that long, lonely walk up to Calvary's hill. The world was being redeemed every move he made. Let's stand to our feet this morning. What we're going to do is we're going to come forward for communion And then we're going to, I'm going to give some announcements. And then our very own Tiffany McDonald has a special presentation. And after that, Jacqueline will dismiss us. So what I'm trying to say is when you take communion, please don't go to the parking lot. <laughs> it's 11.05 a.m., break the habit, stay in the room, it's going to be okay, we're going to be out of here early, even if the Holy Spirit does more, we're still gonna, he's going to give us some time back, okay? Heavenly Father, as we get ready to come to your table, we pray that you would forgive us of our sins. We want to come to your table in a worthy manner, not an unworthy manner. And so we just pray that you would forgive us of our sins. Forgive us of the sins that we can name. Forgive us of the sin of thinking we know what all of our sins are. And forgive us of those things that are dark in us that we are not aware of yet. And we don't pray for just forgiveness but we know that you are all the things all the time that you say you are. So you're not just a forgiver, but you're also a healer at the exact same time. And you're also a creator. And so we say with the psalmist, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. 
create in us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within us. A spirit that is dependent on you, on each other, on creation, on hope, on place. Forgive us of looking elsewhere for what you're always revealing where we are, when we are, and how we are. So forgive our lack of contentment. Forgive our wandering eyes. Forgive our thinking when it moves into the realm of daydreaming and fantasizing about better places to be than the place we are now. Just hear the phrase, the phrase of the father of our faith. Here I am, right here, right now, this way, here we are. Feed us on your body and blood. And restore in us the joy of your salvation. Not the joy of the salvation that we create in ourselves, but the joy of your salvation. Holy Spirit, I pray that you descend on the bread behind me and make it for your people the body and blood of Jesus, the food and drink of new and unending life in him. I pray that you would descend on everybody in this room and make us for the world body of Christ, that we would leave here possessing nothing and being willing to offer everything. In your precious name we pray, and everybody said, I'll do this right here real fast. If this is your first time here, spoiler alert, this service was cool. You're welcome. We love you. We have a gift for you. Thank you for being with us. If you're interested in membership, if you want more clarity about what membership might even mean, if you're confused about what's the difference between membership at a church and membership at like Planet Fitness or something, we're having uh, lunch. The lunch is on us. Uh, sign up. It's going to be March 10th after church. We're going to explain what membership really means and how it's really more related to our baptism than anything else. And then if you want to become a member of the church, we'll answer any questions you have. This Wednesday night, 7 p.m., we'll be here for the book study. You're more than welcome to come at 6.30 and pray if you have time to do that. And then we will talk about the chapters of the book leading up to Wednesday. And uh, ladies, tonight at 6 p.m., Jacqueline has a word for you. I promise you it is wonderful. It is uplifting. It has sustained me this week. And so I look forward to you hearing that. And uh, thank you to the men who came out in the snow yesterday. We had a real healing time together yesterday. So those are the announcements. Check the information center when you leave, but you're not leaving yet. But when you do, check out there. At this time, the ushers will release you from the back to the front. I'll ask Elder George and I'll ask Elder Bill if they would distribute communion. Come and take communion. Head back to your seats for a moment and we will continue to worship together. Thanks for listening to the Salem Tabernacle podcast. For more information about us, including gathering times and our location, check us out online at salemtabernacle.com.